Open your Bibles up to Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 is where we're going to be at today. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. We have crossed a threshold in the book of Romans, okay? So something something significant has changed uh, in the book of Romans. And what that is, is, is that from chapter 11 to chapter 12, you have a subtle kind of emphasis changed from telling us about the greatness and the goodness and the power and the majesty of God to now saying, all right, how are you going to respond to that? Like, what is going to be your response to what you've just read in the first 11 chapters of Romans? So that's kind of where we're at. Uh, Paul does that a lot in his, his letters. Uh, Ephesians is probably the classic example. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are very doctrinal. They're very, God has done this. God has done that. God is awesome. Look at what he's done in you. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are, okay, now, because of that, here's how you need to treat your wife and parent your kids. And, you know, it's kind of more kind of responsive, okay? So we just crossed that line from last week to this week. And so this week we are really looking at our response to what we've learned in the first 11 chapters of Romans. So if you would stand, I'm going to read two verses out of the book of Romans. If you'd stand with me and uh, I'm going to read this and we're going to ask then God, the Holy Spirit, to be our teacher today. So Romans chapter 12 Beginning in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, go ahead and have a seat, and uh, I'm going to pray in just a second, but before I pray, I want to give you a prayer request, okay? So go ahead and have a seat. Um, many of you know Pastor Kenny Platt. Uh, Pastor Kenny Platt has served in our association for, I'm thinking around 17 years. I think he came either a year or two years after I came. Uh, this is my 19th year. I'll be going on 20 in, uh, in January, and so I think that he's around 17, 18 years in our association, pastoring First Baptist Shattuck. About five years ago, he had a terrible tragedy. He's got three boys, and one of them was, was killed in a car accident down in Texas, I believe. And uh, I, got, I got a text early this morning, and uh, his youngest son, Kevin, was, uh, was found deceased in Colorado. And so he and Gail were heading there. I don't know any details about it other than I, I do know he had been in an accident of some sort. I'm not sure what kind. I don't think it was really major, but I know he was not healing maybe the way he was supposed to be healing. And I know they were concerned about him and asking him, you, know, you need to get back into the doctor. Um, so I don't know what happened, uh, but I know that uh, one of the young men who's come out of our ministry, Blake Farley, um, is now the youth pastor at Shattuck. And I talked to Blake this morning and he was he was going to be going to take over the service to preach this morning. And so we talked about, you know, just how he might handle that heavy load uh, as Pastor Kenny was gone. So as we pray and ask God to teach us about Romans 12, I also want us to lift up our brother Kenny and his wife Gail as, uh, as they are just in a really difficult situation of having lost two of their sons. And so let, let's pray for them. Father, we, uh, we ask you, first of all, to be with our brother Kenny and to be with Gail. We ask you, Father, to be near to them. God, just to, to draw near with your comfort, to draw near with your power. Um, God, I don't know what else to ask other than that you would be for them everything that they need. And that somehow, some way, God, in the midst of terrible loss, that you would scoop them up and that you would carry them. 
and enable them, Father, to press on. Father, we pray for Blake as he probably is in the pulpit right now and is speaking uh, maybe one of his first sermons there. And on such a, a difficult occasion, we pray that you'd give him power and that you'd raise him up, God, to be uh, the young man, the young minister that you've called him to be. Father, we ask that you'd be with us as we look into Romans 12. We pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us, instruct us, make clear to us your word, and then give us power, God, to be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Every, uh, most mornings during the week, uh, I'm in Bible study with guys, and kind of our model is this. We take a chapter and we'll read it. We'll usually pray, ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, and then we'll read that chapter. And then uh, at the end of that, at, at the end of that, we'll begin to discuss it. We usually just ask questions like, "Hey, what jumped out at you? What stood out? You know, what questions do you have about the passage? What 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 truths do you see about yourself, about God, about Jesus, about the Christian life?" And then at some point, we always leave the last ten minutes. We always leave the last ten minutes, and we begin to ask a different kind of question. Okay, we begin to ask, "Okay." If we believe this, and I think we do, what now? How do we respond, right? I think that's a really good way to read the Bible. And in fact, I think, I think we get that to some degree from the Apostle Paul, okay? Because now in this, in this shift in Romans 12, here, here's what he's saying. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Do you see that little phrase? By the mercies of God. Now, what are the mercies of God? Man, everything that we have just seen in the last 11 chapters of Romans, right? I mean, that's the mercies of God. The mercies of God are are the incredible, glorious attributes of God who, because of his great mercy, reached down and plucked sinners out of the wrath of God and out of a future in hell and gave them salvation through his own son, Jesus Christ, perfect life and substitutional death, and then gives us the glory of the Holy Spirit living inside of us and an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading forever, being ours in the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, so Paul is saying, in view of those mercies, how ought you to live? Okay, so in view of everything we've just seen in the book of Romans. And do you remember how Romans 11 ends? This is kind of a neat thing. So it ends... With, with basically an exclamation of praise. Verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord. Who's been his counselor. Who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid. Basically, Paul is saying, Man, God is great and glorious beyond your ability to ever get a hold of that in your mind. Like, he's better than you can imagine in every way. And then he says in verse 36, For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. In other words, this world is from God. He's the creator. He's the originator. He's the sustainer. We are all sucking in oxygen because Jesus says it is okay to do so right now. The atoms in our body hold together because Jesus is sustaining them right now. Everything is from him. and through him and it's all to him it is all for him it is all for his glory and now Paul says okay how you respond that kind of God okay how should you respond to him and his answer is this I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice 
Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, now to understand kind of what he's saying there, let's go back and get our theology straight from the book of Romans. Some big picture items that we've seen already are this, okay? Number one, anybody who's a believer is joined to Jesus, all right? We learned that in Romans, didn't we? We learned about union, okay? So whenever a person repents of their sins, puts their faith in Christ, literally, they're joined to the living Jesus. That's why death has no hold on you, right? Because you can't really die. You're tethered to Jesus, and he is forever alive. And so one of the the truths we learn is that we are joined to Jesus Christ. And then when that happens, we are made alive in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, but he who's joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. We're joined to Christ's resurrection life. John calls it being born again. Remember that? John 3, 3. You know, unless a man is born again. In other words, you are dead on some significant spiritual level. You are flatlined, all right? There, you, you're, you're, you're still alive physically, but you are dead spiritually. And when you're joined to Christ, you are made alive. Something comes on inside of you. The light comes on in your spirit and you're made alive. You, 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 you are spiritually awakened, all right? So that's true, right? But on the same token, your body is still a mess, okay? Now, I'm not talking about that you got arthritis and, you know, uh, bowel issues and let's not even go there, all right? I'm not talking about that, okay? That's true, And that's because of sin, but we're not talking about that. What we're saying is your unredeemed humanness, Paul calls it your flesh. Okay, what what is that? Well, remember in Romans chapter 7, Romans 7, 18, he says this, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Okay, now, now what what does Paul teach us, if you remember, in Romans about the flesh? He he teaches us that the body is the battleground. So you've been made alive in the Spirit, right? You've got the Holy Spirit in you if you're a believer, right? You've been awakened. You've been made alive. You're joined to Jesus. But, man, you're still in the flesh. And so what happens? Well, your mouth is inclined to say things that it should not say, right? True? Huh? Your, Your mouth is inclined to pop off prideful, mean, insensitive things. It is unruly. John tells us that, or not, James tells us that in James 3. Man, your, your tongue is unruly. What does he tell us? He says, your mind, your mind is busted. Man, it's tempted to think wrongly and, and, and to, and to, and to, to replay the tape over and over and over again when someone hurts you and want vengeance and have selfish, prideful thoughts. Your eyes, they are inclined to look at things that you ought not look at. And so what is Paul telling us here? He's saying in view of all of God's mercies, you need to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So it is a surrendering of your of your mouth and of your mind and of your hands and of your feet to God, right? In view of all that God has done, what is our act of worship? It is to sing. It is to sing. That's part of it. We'll read a verse here in a little bit in Hebrews 13. It tells us about that. But even more than that, it is all of our bodies, all of our life submitted under the use of God. So we are to present our bodies to God, present your mouth to speak the scriptures, to encourage the faint-hearted, to pray for those in need, to affirm and comfort and challenge and bless. I mean, that's what Paul told us back in Romans 6, okay? I bet you remember this verse. Romans 6, 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, and your members. What is members? These, right? 
Hands, feet, legs, mouth, mind, eyes, ears. Okay? Present your members as instruments for righteousness. Present them to God as instruments for righteousness. And so Paul is talking about an an intentional surrender. He's saying in view of all that God has done, in view of the Holy Spirit that's inside of you, in view of the power of God inside of you, in view of being joined to Jesus Christ, now you need to say, God, my mouth is yours. What can I do? How can I sing? Who can I speak to? God, my feet are yours. And so when this service is over, God, my feet are yours. And I can tell there was somebody who came in and they needed an encouraging word. So I'm going to use those feet and I'm going to walk over there. God, after the service, and I'm going to give an encouraging word. My, my body is yours. My hands are yours. Lord, if you want me to make cookies for my neighbor, if you want me to help my, my, my friend work on their broken down car because they can't afford a mechanic, I am intentionally surrendering myself to you as a sacrifice. Paul says as an instrument of righteousness, right? So these are our instruments. So what happens? Well, a musician comes over here and, and they, they, they use the instrument to produce something, right? I, I would... I would, well, I'd display, but I can't. I don't know how to play the piano. But like someone who does, they're going to use that instrument, right? And and so you're God's instrument. Paul is saying, present your members as instruments. God, my hands are yours. Now, man, let me tell you, let me tell you a lie of the devil. You know what he's going to say? He's going to speak in your heart. Yeah, but you're not good for anything. You're not useful for anything. He doesn't really mean you. How dare you say that to God? To God who's the creator to God who, who owns the world and sustains the world, and it's all for Him. And how can you say, it's all for you, but not me? I'm not for you. Oh, that's arrogant. Like, it sounds like you're being humble. Like, it sounds like, well, I'm not good for any It's not really humble. It's really kind of arrogant to say, God, I don't think you're good enough to use me. I don't think you're powerful enough. You can't do it. No, he can. And you owe it to him to present yourself as an instrument to God. So kind of the two kinds of sanctification are this, all right? So, so what? in view of the mercies of God, in view of all that God has done, what, 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 what do we do? Well, we present, we, we, we offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And then the other side of that coin is, is that whenever we see the flesh taking root in our members, we put that to death. Okay, so let me read you a verse about that. Remember this one, Romans 8, 13? It says, uh, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. All right, so, so sanctification kind of happens like this, okay? It happens like this. I say, okay, God, in view of your mercies, God, you've been so good. You're glorious, you're good, you're owner, you're sustainer. You, 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 everything's for you. Lord, you have, you have put your Spirit inside of me. You've saved me by the blood of Jesus You've done all of that. You've made me alive. And so, God, here's my mouth. Here's my mind. Here's my hands. I intentionally surrender that to you. How can I use that to show your worth? And then, whenever you see your mouth or mind or hands doing something that shows that sin is in control, that's when you pull out the guns and kill it, right? That's when when you, you cut it down. So whenever you see your mouth was just used to tear somebody down, you know? You just kind of got mad at your spouse and took a couple shots at him. You know what you got to do? You got to fix that with your spouse, but you got to fix that with God. Because you just use your members that belong to God for sin and not for righteousness. And so, so Paul is describing for us here 
salvation. Now, now notice what he says at the end of verse, verse 1. He says, which is your spiritual worship? Okay, which is your spiritual worship? Now, now you, you are to, this is the way you show worth to God, is by being a living sacrifice. By the way, do you remember the stories, um, a couple cool stories in the Bible? One's Jesus, obviously, but, but Isaac. Okay, you got a couple, couple of stories of living sacrifices. Do you remember the story of Isaac? So, so God tells Abraham, see our new picture? Addie did that one. Isn't that cool? I'm proud of her. My girl, Chris, kind of set her to task on that. So that's Abraham, and that's promises. That's our, 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 our view of promise. And by the way, have you seen Jesus, the Jesus picture, the Messiah picture? I'm, I'm really happy how these are turning out. Um, I guess you guys don't get to see them. I look at them when I preach that. So Abraham, all right, so God tells Abraham, man, in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Um, you, you, you know, through you, the, the Messiah is going to come, all right? And, and it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen for 25 years, 24 years. And then finally he has a son, Isaac. And in Isaac, all of his hopes and dreams are, are going to come true. And then what does God tell him? Give him back. Sacrifice him to me. And Hebrews 11 tells us Abraham's like, the only thing he can figure out is God's able to raise the dead. The only thing he can figure out is God won't break his promises. And so, man, I'm, I'm going to put Isaac on the altar and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to trust that God will raise him. But you remember what happens as he starts to do it. The angel stops him, stops him and says, Isaac, there's a ram in the thicket. That's the substitute. It's pointing to Jesus, right? That's the substitute. And Isaac comes off the altar. Abraham gave all to God and then as a living sacrifice. All that was pointing to Jesus who would die your death as a sacrifice. God would raise him from the dead. And now you don't have to be a dead sacrifice. See, that's the way sacrifices worked in the Old Testament, right? The lamb got up on the altar and what'd they do? Did they pet it and spray a little paint on it and then let it go? No, it didn't come off the altar. It died, all right? You don't have to die. Why? Jesus died your death. But now... You're a living sacrifice. Your life is the sacrifice. You present your hands and your feet and your mind and your, your mouth. You are the sacrifice. And, and here's what Paul is saying in verse, in verse 1, which is your reasonable service, your spiritual worship. ESV says spiritual worship. How many of you have the New King James Bible? Anybody got that? That says reasonable service, doesn't it? That, that was my first Bible, and that's the way I memorized it, reasonable service. I kind of like that translation. Let me tell you why I like that translation. Because that word reasonable is a word that means logical or carefully thought through. In other words, it makes sense, doesn't it? That in light of that glorious God who's beyond compare, in light of the truth that you and I were rebels in habitual offending over and over again in light of the truth that God in his mercy reached down and saved you out of hell and put his spirit in you and loaded you up with riches and glory and privilege. What, what's reasonable? What, what makes sense? What should be your response to that? A thank you card? A high five? A pizza party? I mean, all that falls kind of short, doesn't it? A bumper sticker on your car? What does God want? What, what ought you to give in view of that? Your life, right? Your life. Now, how does that practically work? Okay, we'll go to verse 2. Go to verse 2. 
Verse two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so first of all, it works this way. In order to present yourself as a living sacrifice, you cannot be conformed according to this world. Now, what does he mean by this world? He does not mean dirt, mountain, river, tree, bugs. He doesn't mean that, okay? What he means by world is the mindset, the current, the convictions, the beliefs, the values of this world that is anti-God, that is apart from God, that is without God. Okay, so, so in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, you remember, uh, Paul calls, calls Satan the God of this world. Now, what does he mean by that? He doesn't mean that he's taking God's place. He means that the world is following Satan. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Okay, so by world, it is, it, is, it is the thoughts and values and priorities that leave out God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about, about this phrase, the world or this world. He says, the New Testament means life as it is thought of, organized, and lived apart from God, without reckoning on God, without being governed and controlled by God. It's leaving God out of your thoughts. Okay, so it's looking at life without looking at God. It's, it's, it's looking at de- developing your values and your priorities and, and what you think about family and marriage and relationships and sex and everything in this life, but yet leaving God out. That's exactly what, what happens everywhere. That's the air that you breathe. Okay, the air that you breathe, the news that you watch, the Facebook that you look at, the Twitter accounts that you check, I mean, all of that is going to be saturated with a worldview that leaves God out. Now, now imagine how bad that is when he, Romans eleven thirty six 36 tells us, remember, that from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That verse just told us the world exists because of God. The world is sustained because of God. The world world is created for the purposes of God. God is the center and the sustainer and the creator and the purpose of the world. And so how messed up are things going to be when you develop a whole way of living that leaves God out of that equation? You see what I'm saying? Now, Now what we have to realize is this is the air that we breathe. We live in a world and there it's always been this way by the way it's always changing if you were alive in 1950 guess what there was a spirit of the world okay and i know you might say well things were better maybe they were maybe they weren't i don't know i I wasn't there but i do know this there were believers and there were unbelievers and the satan was at work in the spirit of this world and it was different than the spirit of the world today but it was a way of living that left god out you know what that's like when you think about that the world exists for God and by God, and if you live your life leaving him out of it, that's like, that's like renting the movie Cinderella. You know, your kids come over, your grandkids, you're going to watch Cinderella. And so you put Cinderella in the DVD player, and uh, there's, a, there's a scene right at the beginning where this little girl that they never do anything with goes in a, a door and shuts it, and that's it. And then the whole rest of the movie is about two stepsisters. You know, that party their way through high school and then they open up a tattoo parlor called Twisted Sisters, you know, and that's what the movie's about. You know, their vacation to Cancun and it completely left Cinderella out. I mean, that, that's what it's like to live this world and leave God out of it. Here's the thing. There are moral, intelligent, articulate, great people You probably know some of them. 
they're winsome. Like they're, they're great. Like they know tons about fishing and, and, and business. And they know tons about even maybe relationships. They're some of the best people, people you'll ever meet. But if they have left God out of the equation, in other words, if they've developed a way of living that is without God, they are incredibly broken. Again, here's what, here's what Paul is saying. In order for you to, to live as a living sacrifice, in order for you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, you cannot be conformed to this world. Now, now see, he, he assumes we are already conformed, Okay? So none of, us, none of us were born Christians, right? Right? Hopefully, man, hopefully we got that right in our theology. Not, not one of you came out of your womb loving Jesus, okay? You did not, all right? Now, maybe you had great Christian parents who sowed seeds of the gospel in you from a very young age. Praise God for that, okay? But none of us started out as believers and dwelt with the Holy Spirit. We did not, okay? And so what Paul assumes is we're already being conformed to the world, and now, and now the process of sanctification, the process of Christian life is growing out of that, being transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. You see it there in verse two? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. Now, bad news for you. Bad news for you. Your mind is part of your body. That means it is broken, okay? Can I, can I prove that? Would you let me prove that to you? Ephesians 4. Verse 17, now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer, okay? If someone tells you you must no longer, what does that mean? That means you're doing it now, right? You need to stop, right? You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Did you see three different ways? What does Paul say? You are thinking wrongly. You, you are thinking wrongly. You're broken in your thinking. And guess what broken thinking leads to? Broken desires. Okay? You're like, prove it. I'm glad you asked me to. First Peter. First Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Get, get your minds ready. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be, same word, conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Okay, Peter says the same thing. He just switches around. He says, you, you used to be ignorant about everything. Why? Because you left God out of everything. And when you left God out of everything, your passions were wrong. Now, a lot of times we think the word passion is just bad, like we shouldn't have any passions. No, you should have passions. You should have desires. Your desires should be really strong. Your passions should be really strong for the right things, right? For the right things. And Peter's saying, when you think wrongly, you desire the wrong things. You value the wrong things. You want the wrong things. In fact, that's what's wrong with that. That's sin, all right? When you think wrongly about God, you don't desire him. You know why at age 16, when I went every Sunday and heard the gospel and had parents who loved me and, and a church that was a good church, a Bible, you know why I cared zero for the things of God? Because I was lost. I was broken. I valued the wrong things. I saw life apart from God. 
And therefore, I had zero desire for God. So, so what do we need to do? Well, we need to be transformed. Okay, now how, how do we do that? Verse two, let's read it again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Your mind has to be made new. Okay, now how is your mind made new? Your mind is made new through the scriptures, okay? Here, here's how our mind is made new, through the truth of God. So do you remember in Romans 10, we need to hear the word of God, we need to believe the word of God, and then we need to act on the word of God. Hear it, believe it, act on it, right? That, that was our process in, in Romans chapter 10. So what does that mean? Well, let's, let's just pick some examples, okay? How about money? Why do I pick money? Because you all have it in your pocket, or if you don't have it, you're worried that you don't have it in your pocket, right? So we're, it's part of all of our lives, right? So let's just, let's just talk about that. Here's the reality. Everybody in this room thought or thinks, or probably the, re- the reality would be, thought and is trying not to think wrongly about money, okay? Here's the truth. Everybody in this room thought wrongly about money at some point in your life. Why? Because you were lost, right? You, you looked at life apart from God, and so what'd you do? You breathed in the air around you. And what, what, what is, does the air around you say anything about money? Oh my, a lot about money, right? All kinds of subtle little communication to you all the time about what money is and what you should do with money and how you should use it and how you should think about it and what it does for you. It was everywhere and you breathed that in and it was wrong, wrong, wrong. And you know what that led to? That led to you having distorted, sinful, dangerous views about your life and about money. Now, what needs to happen? Well, you need to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So what does that mean? Well, that means we need to, we need to actually open up this book. Here's why you need to read your Bible over and over and over again. Do you read your Bible when not on Sunday? Please, please. This needs to be your food every day, your, your, your drink. Okay, nourish your soul in the word of God. So, so we open up and it says all kinds of things about money. First Timothy chapter six, listen to this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Don't put your hopes in money. You see that? Now, what do we need to do? We need to hear that. We need to believe that. And then we need to act on that. My hope is not in money. In other words, my happiness is not in money. My, my, my future is not in money. It will not bring satisfaction. It will not bring peace. It will not bring security. It is not what I need. Okay, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have money and there's a proper place for it. And the Bible says that too. We read that in Proverbs. We read that in 2 Corinthians 8. But I won't set my hope in it. And what am I? I'm going to have to change. Because I've been conformed to the world, Right? I've watched a million TV commercials where the rich guy driving the really cool car, you know, who has a really beautiful house in the background, and, and the subtle message is that beautiful woman beside him who's looking at him with those eyes and, Straw, you are so awesome. And I begin to believe that. And you begin to believe that. And so what happens? You got guys that literally will go to their grave busting their tails to make money so they have that life so that people look at them that way. And you know what happens? It's a sinking ship, right? They get the money, they buy the house, they drive the car, and their wife doesn't look at them that way. She looks at them more like this, right? And they can't figure it out. So, you know, the next step, I must have the wrong gal, right? 
Like I did the one thing, you know, and I was I mean, that's how broken we are. Your mind has to be renewed by the scriptures. All kinds of things. First Timothy 6, if we just backed up. Now there's a great gain in godliness with contentment. Wow, you're not gonna hear that from the world. For we brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, with these we ought to be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, many senseless and horrible desires. You see, we got we gotta be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's Father's Day. What do you think about children? Okay, let me let me tell you this. Everybody in this room, you thought wrongly about kids. You're like, how can you say that? Because our mind was broken, right? And so we had the wrong view of children. We had the wrong view of the purpose of children and how to raise children and what to do with children and what not to do with children and, you know, why we wanted children or how many children we have. You know, I always get a kick out of asking people just life questions like, you know, why'd you have two kids? Why'd you have three? Yeah, I, I mean, you, you, we, ought, we ought to be able to answer those questions with scriptural convictions. Most of them we can't. Why'd we, why'd we, why'd we do what we did? We were just breathing the air in around us, weren't we? And that's, that's what we were doing. We were just breathing it in, and we just living like everybody else did. Okay, but our convictions have to come from the Scripture. We've got we've to realize my mind is broken. My thinking is broken. It's broken about everything. And so I'm going to present it to God as a living sacrifice, and I'm not going to be conformed to the world, and I'm going to be transformed by the renewing, by God make my mind new. And as my mind is made new, guess what? My desires will be new, right? As I change the way I think, as, as, I, as I conform to what God tells me, all right, God, I'm, 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 I'm believing, I'm embracing your truth, and then my desires begin to change. And then my life, isn't that the cool thing about the Christian life? Is it, it's, there's not a to-do list, there's a get-to list, right? If, if you're a Muslim, if you're a Buddhist, you know what you got, a to-do list, right? Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And then if you're a religious person, you know what you do? <sighs> I'm going to do it, right? You're like, that's why I came to church today. Uh-oh, uh-oh, for real, uh-oh. Because, see, the Christian life is different. The Christian life is, I'm going to embrace what God's truth tells me, and as I embrace what God's truth, I begin to see the world in a different, I begin to see money differently and, and, and marriage differently and relations differently and children differently and my occupation differently and life differently and mercy differently. I, I see everything differently, and now I get to, Right? I want to, like he's changed me and changing me. That's the Christian life. Now, as that happens, really cool here, it's the last thing we're going to talk about. As that happens, it says, verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see that, you see that word testing? I get excited here because um, a few days ago, I'm, uh, I'm reading those scriptures with some guys at McDonald's, and we're in Philippians chapter 1, okay? And, and in Philippians chapter 1, uh, let me find it here. Um, there's this really cool verse. It says, um, Philippians 1, 9 and 10. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So Paul's saying, I'm praying that you love God, love others more and more and more with knowledge and discernment, with knowledge and discernment. So I, I, I want you to love them, but I want you to love them with God's truth, right? I want, I, want, I want God's truth to shape you the way you love. And then verse 10 says, so that you may approve what is excellent. One of the guys at the table, he had a different translation. It said that you might know what really matters. And I started thinking, oh, that's cool. That's cool. You see, what God's doing is he's shaping me so that I know what really matters. I know what really satisfies. I know what really brings joy. 
Okay, but, but the way I do that is by, Philippians said, approving. And Romans here says, testing. I looked up the word in the Greek, it's the same word. And it, it, it's a word, it, it's dokimazo, doc, and it, makes, it means to make a critical examination of something to put it to the test. You know it means to put something to the test, right? A couple years ago, Haddon made a science project completely out of duct tape, Okay. Duct tape and PVC pipe, actually. PVC pipe. And so we duct tape PVC pipe together, and we duct taped the whole bottom of it, and we made a canoe, all right? A canoe, a kayak, completely out of duct tape and PVC pipe. And we finished that thing. He and I, we were convinced, man. We, we checked all the seams. We checked everything. We were going to go around the world in this, all right? I mean, this, this thing, we're going to be the first father-son, go around the world, duct tape, kayak. You know, we were going to shoot the rapids down, the, down the, the, the Colorado, you know. I mean, we were, we were going to retrace Lewis and Clark's steps, you know, on the river in this kayak. But we had to test it. So it happened to be winter. So we went out, Randall's Pond, and uh, there was a, a sh- kind of a, a, a thin part uh, on, on the one side that didn't have ice on it. And we had to break the ice right on the edge, but didn't have ice in the middle. And so we put that on the shore there, right on the edge, and put my son in it. I prayed for him and wished him luck, you know, and pushed him out. And guess what we found out? It did not sink. It didn't sink. And as long as he stayed perfectly still, it stayed that way, okay? But we did not factor in displacement. I mean, that's the cool thing about science projects, you learn stuff, right? We didn't factor in displacement. So that thing only set about that far above the water line. So... He had an oar as he went to paddle. Ooh, if, if he really dug in, that cock would tip and, well, you know, right? <laughs> so we tested it. Okay, that's what that word means, dokimosa. You, you test it. Okay, what's Paul saying? Okay, let's, let's get it all in line here. Are you ready? So I'm going to present my body as a living sacrifice. I'm going to present my mouth and my mind and my heart. Okay, what does that mean? I'm not going to be conformed to this world. I'm, I'm going to realize I think wrongly about everything, and I'm coming to God's word, and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to shape me, and I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm going to think differently about money and marriage and, and, and relationships and, and service and occupation and, and, and everything. I'm going to think differently, and, and then I'm going to put that to the test. Are you seeing? I'm going to put it to the test. Like, I'm going to go live it. I'm going to get in it. You know what I'm going to find? That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. I'm going to be in the will of God. Is that good? Well, keep reading. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, see, if I don't do that, what's going to happen? I'm just going to believe what the world around me does. I'm going to breathe that air in, and it's going to seem super convincing. And I'm going to get in that kayak, and I'm going to realize it's not very stable. But I'll try to stay real still, and when you all drive by, I'll wave like, everything's great, it's great, you know. We're living the dream. But at some point, it's going to get rocky, isn't it? And for some point, it, some people, it never gets rocky until death. And they sink. So what Paul is telling us here today, don't be conformed to the world. Realize 
Our minds are broken. Our flesh is broken. We think wrongly about everything. That's, that's why we sin. And so, so we got to submit ourselves to God, surrender to God, let our minds be renewed, and then we'll prove what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for how it transforms us. God, I know there's people in this room who, who would say, I, you know, I used to look at life this way, but now God's changed me. I, I used to look at my marriage this way, but now God's changed me. God, I, I know, Father, the, the work that you've already done in us and pray that you would continue to do. And Father, we want to afresh this morning. We want to present our lives as a living sacrifice. Father, use our our mouth today. Use our feet. Use our hands. Use our mind. God, we know that on our own we're broken, we'll sink. But God, we, we trust that as we embrace your truth and as you change us from the inside out, God, that we'll... We'll have abundant life. We'll test it out. God help us in Jesus' name. Amen.